Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Happy Wednesday, football fans, and welcome in to another edition of The Chase Podcast. I'm Isaac Sines, and I thank you for joining me. In today's episode, I will preview the Battle of the Bay between the Raiders and 49ers. I will also recap Week 8 and discuss the implications of Hugh Jackson's firing. Plus, I will break down all the trades that went down ahead of Tuesday's deadline. The Raiders have endured a difficult first season under head coach John Gruden that has seen two cornerstone players traded away for draft compensation. With one win under his belt and a bunch of new faces in the building, Derek Carr understands that his leadership must improve entering week number nine. I will say that uh, I know that with uh, certain guys gone that I do have to step up being more vocal. That kind of stuff, you know, nothing football-wise, nothing uh, physical, but just leadership-wise and those kind of things. I do, I do need to do those things better going forward, and I will. The 49ers enter the Battle of the Bay with a 1-7 record, but will be looking to earn a win over a long-standing rival. Head coach Kyle Shanahan, who spent time on John Gruden's staff in Tampa Bay, says his counterpart's offensive schemes still work well in today's NFL. John lives and dies football, so it wasn't ever, he never got away from it. You know, he he probably had even more time to sit and look at everything, you know, not getting so caught up in, in his own team. So, um, you know, the whole league's evolved since then. It evolves year to year. Um, but you watch his system and, you know, he has a foundation of what he used to do and things like that. But he's kept up with everything and he's mixing in whatever's working with everyone else week to week. He's finding a way to implement it in his offense also. I will discuss all that and more coming up in the latest episode of the Chase Podcast. The Fall is another production of the Chase Podcast, covering the latest news and analysis around the National Football League. Turn the volume up. The Chase is on and the Chase is live. Now, let's say to your host, Happy Halloween. It is Wednesday, October 31st. Isaac signs here on the Chase Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your Halloween night to join me for some more NFL content. Now, James Yetibo, the 10-year NFL veteran safety, 
He is not joining me for today's episode. He was out of town and things didn't quite work out with us connecting this week, but he will be back next Wednesday. So rest assured, we will continue that weekly tradition. So it is just me solo behind the mic and that is a-okay because there is still plenty to discuss. And on that note, I want to recap Monday night's game briefly. The Patriots at the Bills. And it was the Patriots leaning more on Steven Gostakowski's leg than Brady's arm against the Bills to knock them off, who was a you know, pretty tough division win on the road. McCourty stepped up and returned an interception 84 yards to secure a 25-6 victory for their fifth straight win. So the Patriots joined the Houston Texans on a nice win streak there. They improved to 6-2 while the Bills dropped to 2-6. Now, for the Bills, it was their third straight loss and are 2-6 for their worst start since opening the 2010 season with eight losses. They continued their anemic ways on offense. They were held under seven points for the fourth time this season. Buffalo has scored just two touchdowns in its past five outings, a stretch in which it has been outscored by a margin of 116 to 37. And uh, Brady's numbers for you, 29 of 45 for 324 yards and was held without a touchdown for the first time this season. So how about that? A victory there for the Bills' stout pass defense. On we go to the next topic. And I like to do this each and every Wednesday. And the question is, who had the most impressive victory of week number eight? My response to this is the Carolina Panthers. They came out, they took care of business, blowing out the Baltimore Ravens 36-21. to Cam Newton, let me tell you what, he is thriving in his first season under Norv Turner. The Panthers are 5-2 and picking up ahead of steam on offense as they prepare to face the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday. But Cam Newton, he combined for 271 yards and three touchdowns against the league's top-ranked defense. This Carolina team, they're starting to catch its stride. You're seeing players like DJ Moore, the dynamic rookie, getting involved. Christian McCaffrey, Curtis Samuel is fully healthy and in full swing there in Carolina. And then on defense, you look at that linebacking core of Shaq Thompson, Luke Keekley, Thomas Davis, who they were without the first month of the season due to suspension. Boy, has he made a difference. They are able to run from sideline to sideline and hinder opposing offenses from having frequent success, which is a big reason for Carolina and their hot level of play up to this point. And as for Baltimore, the number one ranked defense who had 11 sacks against the Titans earlier this season, they never got to Cam Newton, and Carolina went on to score four straight possessions to build a 24-7 lead at halftime. Now on the opposite end of the spectrum, you may ask, who had the most disappointing loss? And this one for me was the Minnesota Vikings. They lost 30-20 to to the Saints, 
right? Everybody was talking about the Minnesota miracle and how the Saints wanted to erase that from their memory. Well, they did just that. The Vikings were sloppy at times during the game. Adam Thielen fumbled the ball inside the Saints' 20-yard line as the second quarter was winding down, and that was a big momentum swinger for the New Orleans Saints. Another turnover came in the third quarter where Stephon Diggs abruptly stopped running his route, resulting in Cousins throwing a pick six to P.J. Williams. So those two plays alone really dictated the outcome of the game. And never mind that Drew Brees, who's been absolutely stellar, passed for a season-low 120 yards. It was a gritty win. They proved that they didn't have to be carried by Drew Brees in what was touted to be and expected to be a high-scoring affair. This defense rose to the occasion. Sheldon Rankins is coming to his own along with Cameron Jordan. Now Marcus Davenport, the talented rookie edge rusher who had two sacks against Minnesota, he'll be sidelined for a month with a toe injury, but he had himself a night. This Saints team... They are the real deal, and they went out on the road and proved that they are indeed Super Bowl contenders in the NFC. Now I want to get into this Browns-Hugh Jackson story that broke at the beginning of the week on Monday. There was reported tension between Jackson and Todd Haley leading up to this Browns losing streak of three games. There is at least some optimism that Cleveland was going to be able to maybe turn the tide, put out a better performance. But no, they went ahead and laid a goose egg and dropped another game in Pittsburgh by a score of 33-18. to And that was enough for John Dorsey and Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the Cleveland Browns, to wake up on Monday morning and come to an ultimate decision of not only firing their head coach, Hugh Jackson, but sending Todd Haley, the offensive coordinator, packing right behind him as well. Now, when Hugh Jackson, the news came out that he was gone and his tenure in Cleveland had come to an end, everybody was assuming that maybe Haley was going to be named the interim head coach. But John Dorsey says, no, sir, you two are leaving And we're going to make Greg Williams the defensive coordinator, the outspoken coordinator that always gets tied to the bounty gate that he ran back with the New Orleans Saints. He takes over. And so there's kind of a domino effect going on in Cleveland. But Jackson, he finishes his time in Cleveland with a 336-1 record. Now get this, the Browns went 0-20 on the road during Jackson's tenure, which was the worst road record by any coach with a single team in the Super Bowl era, which is 1966. Okay, and it doesn't stop there. Cleveland was 1-15 in his first season and 0-16 in 2017. John Dorsey comes in and... There was reports out there that he wanted to make his own hiring as head coach. Haslam says, no, give him one more chance. Well, we know how that ended. But I read an article the other day that claims that Jackson is the second worst coach in NFL history. 
He is 11-44-1 as an NFL head coach. He was 8-8 in Oakland, 336-1 in Cleveland. That's a winning percentage of .205. Now, the article went on to say there have been 219 coaches in NFL history who coached at least 40 games in their career. Of those, Jackson ranks 218th in career winning percentage. The only coach who was worse, that's Burt Bell, who led the Eagles to a record of 10-46-2, which was a .179 win percentage from 1936 to 1941. And if you're asking, Bell couldn't be fired because he was also the owner of the Eagles at the time. So my thoughts on the firing. I think it was only a matter of time before this was going to happen. I knew John Dorsey was not going to roll with Hugh Jackson in the long term. And me personally, I don't know how a coach can hold a job through 40 games, only winning three of them. And I understand there's all kinds of supporters of Jackson saying he wasn't given the necessary time with the talent that was provided with him, you know, so on and so forth. You hear a lot of different factors as to why Hugh Jackson was unable to win the game. You want to turn to the slew of quarterbacks they've had in Cleveland, RG3, Cody Kessler, Deshaun Kaiser, And everybody says, wait a second, Hugh Jackson didn't deserve that record and he should hold on to his job now that they have Baker Mayfield. There's a a greater sense of direction and vision of where this franchise is headed. The bottom line is, whether you like it or not, the NFL is a business. You hear players, you hear coaches, you hear executives talk about it all the time. If you are not winning ball games, if you are not selling tickets, you do not have a place on an NFL staff. And just based on that viewpoint, Hugh Jackson did not fit the success rate to hang on to a job in Cleveland. And I'm not attacking him as a person. I'm just saying simply looking at it from him being a head coach, this record does not match up with the caliber it should take to be coaching at this level. And for that reason, I agree with the Browns' decision. And then also, I agree with them getting rid of Haley as well. Because if Haley and Jackson were both the problems there in Cleveland, which was creating this dysfunction, then you better get rid of both of them. Start with a clean slate. Now Dorsey's going to go and hunt for his own head coach. Williams is just there in the interim bases. And then they promoted Freddie Kitchens to offensive coordinator, um, who apparently there's some strong rave reviews about Kitchens and the type of offensive mind he is and the relationship that he's developed with Baker Mayfield. So who knows? You know, that may be good for Mayfield because certainly whenever you see a head coach getting fired and the offensive coordinator with the rookie signal caller, it typically doesn't bode well. But maybe Kitchens, and that's why this Browns organization has some confidence in him to come in and continue to develop him, whether they bring in a new offensive coordinator next year or not, that remains to be seen. But in six appearances this season, five starts, Mayfield has thrown 4,471 yards, eight touchdowns, 
Six interceptions to go along with the 58.3 completion percentage. Now, if you watch any of Cleveland's games, you see that he is running for his life every single snap. The Pittsburgh Steelers, they got after him on Sunday. Really didn't give him any room or time to survey his reads down the field. And so, yes, these stats, they... They will come at you and rub you the wrong way saying, boy, man, he's got weapons there. He's got Jarvis Landry, David Njoku, Nick Chubb. But I don't think it's a fair assessment to look at his stats right now so early into his career and say that he's underwhelming, so to speak. I think he's sure he needs improvement just like every other rookie signal caller. But maybe with the new play caller, maybe with the new fresh direction and hoping that he can finish off this season the right way now some potential head coaching candidates for Cleveland one being floated around the most it's Oklahoma head coach Lincoln Riley he's 35 years old he took over as the head coach of the Sooners in 2017 and he previously served as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach there in Norman from 2015 to 2016 So the obvious connection to him and Baker Mayfield is there. And many people are gushing about the type of combo that Riley and Mayfield can make in Cleveland. Of course, Riley was asked the same day at a presser there at Oklahoma if he would have interest. And even considering an NFL coaching gig and Riley was was very quick to say, you know, not at this time, I don't have the itch to leave Oklahoma. And so who knows if he's going to be open to, to even listening to what Dorsey has to offer with this Browns franchise. But it is certainly intriguing to think what those two can do at the NFL level, considering Sean McVay's success there in Los Angeles with Jared Goff. Now, another trending topic in the NFL this week was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' decision to name Ryan Fitzpatrick the starting quarterback for week number nine, Jameis Winston. The number one overall pick of the 2015 NFL Draft was benched during Sunday's game against the Bengals after throwing his fourth interception of the day, which was returned for a pick six. Through four games and three starts, Winston has thrown 10 interceptions. Let that sink in a bit. And to put it into perspective, Winston had 11 all of last season. He's making knee-jerk decisions that it's costing his team ball games. And Dirk Cutter, you really can't blame him for yanking Winston out, especially they were getting blown out at the time. And in comes Fitzmagic, right? The guy who got off to a hot start at the beginning of the season. Tampa Bay, they were rolling strong. They were rolling high. There was optimism that this could be a sleeper team. And then Winston returns from his three-game suspension. And there's a quarterback controversy yet again. And I think part of the the Buccaneers' decision to go back to Jameis Winston was because he's the number one overall pick. I mean, you look at it and Jason Litt, the GM of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Just think about how bad it makes him look if he leaves in a 34-year-old quarterback over his number one overall selection. That's just going to make it look worse on his resume, and it's just going to make his decision to go after Winston so high 
look so bogus at this point. And this is a GM that's clinging on to his job. I know he was extended by the ownership for a one or two year extension before the 2018 season, but he is feeling the heat. I talked about it back in Monday's episode. So it's clear. I mean, I don't think there's any explanation for the reason why they benched Ryan Fitzpatrick, but now they don't have any other choice but to go back to the bearded one and leave Winston on the bench moving forward. And you know what? To Winston's credit, the guy has obviously matured off the field. When he's faced the media, he's been very collected with his thoughts. He hasn't bashed the coaching staff. He hasn't pointed the finger at any of his teammates. He's put all the blame on his shoulders, which I think is a testament to the growth he's had in the NFL. But I got to tell you what, I know Tampa Bay, they exercised his 2019 fifth-year option. That's going to cost them 20 million next year. But his future in Tampa is looking awfully dim. Now, things could completely change if Dirk Cutter is indeed fired, which I feel like is going to happen at some point before the end of this season. Maybe a new offensive mind comes in and is able to restore Winston and get him playing at a high level. But until that actually happens, you got to think that Tampa is going to leave Winston on the bench. And here's why. I just mentioned that his fifth-year option includes $20 million, right, for 2019. But it's only guaranteed for injury. So if Winston continues playing and As it gets closer to the end of the season and he were to suffer a significant injury, that means the Bucs are going to be on the hook for that contract and there's really not going to be a way for them to sever ties without taking a financial hit. So at this point, it's in their best interest to keep him out of action, let Fitzpatrick take things here and have the option to cut ties with Winston, release him outright, Maybe even find a trade for him for a team that's looking for a project at the quarterback position. But it's certainly shocking to sit here and talk about a number one overall pick that just has not been able to have success and catch his stride in the NFL. So that situation is certainly something to keep an eye on. But Ryan Fitzpatrick will be under center for Tampa Bay when they take on the surging Carolina Panthers so that'll be quite the matchup to watch if you are a fan of the NFC South but mind you before I get out of this quick little segment Fitzpatrick ranked second in the NFL this season in completion percentage on throws 20 yards down the field you want to know what Winston's ranked he's tied for 27th Fitzpatrick let me tell you what the guy certainly is having himself a year And with this type of play, he should have no issue finding work when he hits the open market there in March of 2019. On we go to the trade recaps, and I want to just run by each of these trades and share a little bit about what this means for each franchise moving forward. So let's go ahead and start with the first trade that went down on Tuesday. And it was the Denver Broncos and Houston Texans agreeing to a trade that sent Demarius Thomas to Houston. Now the Broncos, they acquired a fourth round pick as well as a seventh. Both teams swapped 
those seventh round selections. And here's a fun factor about this trade is that the Texans play the Broncos this coming Sunday in Denver. And John Elway, he told reporters after he traded Thomas that they are going to find a way to honor him for his time. This season, Thomas was second on the Broncos in receptions with 36 and receiving yards as well with 402. He was tied for the team lead in receiving touchdowns with three. So the 30-year-old receiver still able to produce at a consistent rate. Now, mind you, he had Case Keenum throwing him the ball, and now in Houston, he's going to have Deshaun Watson, the young quarterback that can fling it and toss it around at a high level. And so, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised to see Demarius Thomas regain that Pro Bowl caliber. I know there's some people questioning how much juice he has left in the tank, but for a wideout, who's at this stage in his career to be able to still pump out the numbers that he did there in Denver, considering all the circumstances that Emmanuel Sanders is there, Cortland Sutton, a couple of the younger receivers taking some snaps, and then the run game they finally got going with Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman. So for him to have these type of stats right now, I think that bodes well for what his ceiling can be in Houston, which is a high potent offense, an offense that primarily uses the pass game more than the run. Now that could change with Deontay Foreman, the bell cow running back, coming back from that Achilles injury here in the next couple of weeks. But Deshaun Watson, the Houston Texans, I have to praise them for, for striking this deal with the Broncos. Demarius Thomas, I know, especially Houston, they lost Will Fuller for the season with a torn ACL. Now, Demarius Thomas is not the blazer that Will Fuller is that can stretch the field on opposing secondaries, but Thomas is definitely a solid wideout that can come in, line up opposite of DeAndre Hopkins, who is quickly emerging as the league's number one receiver, hands down, based on what he's been able to accomplish with the revolving door at the quarterback position there in Houston. So those two, combined with Deshaun Watson, the Houston Texans, I'll tell you what, they're on a five-game win streak, but you're adding another piece to this offensive arsenal, and it's going to be dangerous with the defense that's playing better. J.J. Watt's coming to his own. Beware of this Houston Texans team because they will not be a fun matchup as the playoffs inch closer. Now, trade number two, the Detroit Lions. They traded Golden Tate to the defending Super Bowl champs, the Philadelphia Eagles, for a third-round pick. Tate... He's had 90 receptions in each of his four seasons with the Lions and was a 1,000-yard receiver in three of those years. This year, Tate is on pace for reaching both of those markers again. Right now, he has 44 catches and 517 yards to go along with three touchdowns. Tate is also one of the best yards after the catch receivers in the league with a whopping 285 yards after the catch, which is 13th in the NFL, but number three among receivers. And here's the main reason why Detroit ended up shipping Tate is because he's in the final year of his five-year contract and there was a growing sense that they were not going to be able to re-sign him to the deal that he was looking for. And with that... Detroit says, you know what, we'll take a third round pick. We were able to get him for half the season. The Eagles, they're 
basically going to rent Golden Tate because right now, Philadelphia, I don't think they're in any current cap situation where they're going to be able to ink Tate to a mega deal that he's going to be looking for in March. But nonetheless, the Philadelphia Eagles got better. And adding Tate to a receiving core that already has Alshon Jeffrey and Nelson Aguilar and then Zach Ertz and then Dallas Goddard. I mean, this is a passing attack in Philly with Carson Wentz that they're starting to find their rhythm and they showed that in London against Jacksonville. Golden Tate, this guy is a nightmare for defenses to slow down once he gets going out in space. And for Carson Wentz, for Doug Peterson, for a Philadelphia team that's looking to gain traction and get back to their winning ways, this was a move made by Howie Roseman that could be looked back on as one of the best trade acquisitions at the deadline in quite some time. Trade number three, the Rams continue to go all in and netted Dante Fowler Jr. from Jacksonville. They gave up a 2019 third rounder and a 2020 fifth round selection. Now this is another rental because Fowler will become an unrestricted free agent after this season and he now joins a loaded Rams defensive line rotation that already includes Aaron Donald who leads the NFL with 10 sacks and Dominick Sue. And Michael Brockers. And here's the fun thing about this. All four players are former first round picks. So talk about firepower that Wade Phillips now has at his disposal. Fowler, he was taken with a third overall pick of the 2015 NFL Draft. But he's had some off the field issues. That's why he was suspended to begin the 2018 season. He's still young at 24 years of age. He has eight tackles and two sacks in seven games with the Jags. And for his career, he has 14 sacks and 22 quarterback hits in 39 career games. So this is a guy that hasn't even scratched the surface of the type of player he can develop and evolve into. But the Rams for now are going to say, yeah, we'll give up some draft compensation. But they had been in the market for edge rushers and they went out and made sure that they were going to outbid other interested suitors for Dante Fowler. And they now get to plug him in to a defense that is already getting after the quarterback at a pretty consistent rate. So the Los Angeles Rams, this does make sense. They're all in trying to win a Super Bowl this year. And for Jacksonville, a team that is struggling right now and they're falling in the standings in the AFC South and they're entering a bye week. They'll gladly take those picks and they'll look to regroup with their already talented front seven, Yannick Ngakwe, Calais Campbell, Malik Jackson. They knew they weren't going to be able to sign Fowler after this season anyway, so that does make sense from their standpoint as well. Now another one that happened just a couple of minutes before the trade deadline, it was the Packers and Redskins, haha, Clinton Dix to Washington for a 2019 fourth round pick. Now, I got to say, I feel like Washington, they completely won this trade for a fourth round pick. They're getting an all pro caliber safety who's just 25 years old. Now, I do understand the other implications. Dix, he's in the final year of his deal. He's going to look for a big contract in free agency. And so if you're Brian Gutenkunst from Green Bay, I understand the whole analysis of you not being able to bring him back and you're going to end up losing him in free agency anyways and 
So might as well get something now. I understand that whole concept, but a fourth round pick, I mean, really? Green Bay couldn't get a second or third, but Washington, which is a defense that has been so strong this season, it's almost like an Alabama Crimson Tide factory they got going. You got Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne. Now you're plugging in HaHa Clinton Dix to play alongside DJ Swearinger, Josh Norman. It looks like Washington's saying, hey, you know what? We'll take that offense who can, you know, manage the game, but we're going to win it with the dominant defense. And adding Clinton Dix to this defensive unit that's already been playing very well I tip my cap to what they did ahead of that trade deadline to pick up a player like Clinton Dix now to secure this NFC East division title. And the last trade that that happened that I'll discuss here is Ty Montgomery to Baltimore. This was a trade that was expected following what happened the other day. Uh, He fumbled, took it out in that game against the Rams. Aaron Rodgers called him out. Teammates were disgruntled over his decision. They questioned his character, saying he disobeyed coaches. On and on it went. Basically, the Packers said, you know what? Whichever team can give us a seventh-round pick in 2020, he's yours. Baltimore picks up the phone, says, sure, we can use some depth beyond Javorius Allen and Alex Collins. He gets a fresh start. Green Bay gets a fresh start. And that's that. So that was the, the final trade there. And now before I get out of this episode, I'm going to give a quick preview of the Raiders at 49ers Thursday night game. This one doesn't have a lot of fizz, ladies and gentlemen. 1-7 San Francisco, 1-6 Oakland, the Battle of the Bay. There's all kinds of, well, there was all kinds of anticipation at the beginning of the season. But, you know, San Francisco, they lost Jimmy Garoppolo. They lost Jarek McKinnon, the running back, both to torn ACLs. And then you have the Oakland Raiders. They had a complete fire sale. They traded two cornerstone players. Amari Cooper went out the door for a first-round pick. And then, of course, the mega deal that shook the entire league, Khalil Mack to the Chicago Bears. So, you know, there's not a whole lot of excitement about watching this game on Thursday night. But, hey, for us football fans, it's football. It's professional football. You know we'll be watching at least for a portion of this one. Now it does get a little tricky because C.J. Beathard, who's been the fill-in for Garoppolo, he's dealing with a wrist injury, which makes things a little more interesting for a San Francisco team that just can't seem to catch a break when it comes to injuries. So we may be seeing Nick Mullins there on Thursday, just FYI, and then Derek Carr. You know, a lot of talk about him. Is he the long-term answer at quarterback? There were some reports out there that indicated that Gruden could move Derek Carr as well, but it seems like he's there for the remainder of this season. We'll see what happens in 2019 with those three first-round picks. The Raiders really have any option available to them if if they're willing to listen to other teams and what they want to potentially give up for Derek Carr who knows I mean after that Mac trade I think as NFL fans we can really expect anything coming from John Gruden but on the season Carr is completing 72% of his passes 2,027 yards 10 touchdowns and 8 interceptions Carr has one or less touchdown passes in four of his last six games so that kind of tells a story about how this Oakland offense has struggled to get anything going 
Obviously, Marshawn Lynch is on injured reserve with that groin injury, so you're seeing Jalen Richard and Doug Martin take over the backfield there in Oakland. And as for the Niners, they've split their last eight home games. Matt Breida, the running back, may not be able to go. Mostert, the other running is running back, is questionable. Goodwin's been in and out. But George Kittle, the tight end, he's been one of the lone bright spots for this Niners team. He's got 584 receiving yards and two touchdowns. And he's a dynamic playmaker that's been able to take the burden off C.J. Beathard these last couple of weeks. So he's, he's a fun player to keep an eye on. But when it comes to giving the prediction, I still think this game's going to be close. Oh, it is a rivalry game. You know, I don't know what type of turnout will show up there in San Francisco. But I'm going to give the edge to Oakland just because Mullins may be under center for San Francisco. I know Derek Carr, he's been criticized, but the guy can still air it out. You know, he may throw some interceptions along the way. I look for big games from Jared Cook, who's the, the long, tall, athletic tight end that's been getting more involved without Amari Cooper there. Maybe Richard is able to get some things going in the pass game out of the backfield. I think they are able to seal a close game. 26-24 over San Francisco, the Raiders finally get a win. They get to the two-win mark. While the Niners, they drop another game. And you know what? At this point, it's hard, really. You know, all the injuries, injury depleted, the injury bug. You can say it however you please. But this game, I see it going in favor of John Gruden's squad. So there you have it. There is today's episode on Halloween. I appreciate you taking the time to tune in to the Chase Podcast. I will be back here on Friday to discuss and preview Sunday's slate of games. Until then, take care and God bless. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.